Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Ultimately, I'm going to keep saying it. Get 1% better every day. Just get a little bit better every day. Welcome back. This is Zach Kiefer, and this is 1% Better. Coming to you from Westfield, Indiana, Grand Park. The Colts are about a week and a half into training camp. Uh, it's Thursday night. I wanted to record this after they got in the pads a couple times this week and, and see what's going on as things start to really develop and we start to get into the thick of camp. Have a really good show for you guys tonight. I'm just going to run down everything I've seen at Westfield the last couple of weeks position by position and, and tell you the things that I'm seeing kind of unfiltered. Um, I know there's a lot of everything looks good right now. That's not the case necessarily. There's there's a lot of good, but there's a couple things I'm a little concerned about about this team right now. I'll get into that in just a minute. And then later in the show, I've got a special guest, longtime ESPN reporter Mike Wells, who covered the Colts for the last eight or nine years. Had a really fun conversation with him about you know, some of our favorite guys to deal with in the locker room, some of the best games he covered while he was on the beat, um, and his best stories from a career that really spanned 20, 25 years almost in this weird sports writing world that we're in. So I think you guys will really enjoy that. There's a good amount of Colts talk, but there's a good amount of non-Colts talk. So um, a fun kind of peek behind the scenes at what we do. Um, and, and Wells is always a good time. So those of you who've heard him on 1070 with JMV, um, he's a blast. So let's jump in, right? So they put the pads on on Tuesday. They were in shells yesterday, Wednesday, and then they had the pads back on today. They dodged the rain today, which was impressive. Um, but we're starting to get a feel for what this team's going to look like. Um, it's really different. I'm going to start at the top with the quarterback. Matt Ryan is on these guys. He's a coach out there. He's a hard ass. He's kind of a jerk. And, and I think it's exactly what these guys wanted and needed. And, and, and it's funny, you know, I heard Chris Ballard on the Pat McAfee show yesterday or today, and he said, it's a lot like Rivers. Like, they just go right back to Phillip Rivers when comparing this guy to previous quarterbacks. So, you know, that's the feel that they've got in, in, in Westfield right now. Matt Ryan's running the show. You heard last week, you know, Frank Reich say, um, you know, we finished 10 minutes early because Matt is going so quick. You know, today I watched... You know, him pull Alec Ogletree, Andrew, or excuse me, Drew Ogletree aside and basically tell him, like, you're not running this route correctly. Here's how you need to do it. And then a couple minutes later, he did something very similar with Mo Ali Cox. I mean, he's coaching these guys a lot. Um, he's on them. And it's just got a different feel with Matt Ryan right now. I don't think there's a lot of imagination with what we're going to see with Matt Ryan come the regular season. I don't think there's a lot of difference than what we're seeing right now in Westfield. He's accurate, he's quick. There's not a ton of splash plays. Now, he can certainly take the shots when they're there, but it's going to be a quicker, more efficient offense, and I just don't think much is going to change when we get to the regular season. And, and to go back to what we saw with Carson Wentz, one, Carson wasn't around for training camp last year. He had hurt his foot. But secondly, there was so much unknown, right? There was so much um, variation snap to snap, and I'm sure you guys felt that. As fans of this team, it didn't feel like a roller coaster every snap. It didn't feel like you didn't know what was going to happen. I think the players felt that. I know the players felt that. I know the coaches felt that. There's going to be less variation with Matt Ryan. And whether that's better or worse, we'll see. But I think it's going to be more predictable. He's he's more accurate than Carson. Um, and that's really come across the last couple of days. There's a lot more throws that go into tight windows and are completed. And, and you know, like Matt Ryan's worst day is like four incompletions. Like his bad days are like nine of 13 or 11 of 15. Like it's really not any of those like seven for 15, seven for 20 days we saw last summer. So that's the first thing that jumps out. Um, I haven't thought Nick Foles has been overly impressive. He's been okay. Um, but there's a, certainly a gap between Matt Ryan and Nick Foles. Jonathan Taylor's Jonathan Taylor. You don't need to tell me, or I don't need to tell you how, how, how much of a stud that guy is. You almost forget until you're up close and you see him. I thought this was a really good point for Matt Ryan yesterday. You know, he said it's different in person. Like he had watched the Bills game from last year to prep for a Falcons-Bills game later in the season. 
he saw Taylor take those five touchdowns in. But Ryan said this week, like, he caught a screen pass on the first day. I thought it was just a simple play. Then he made a cut that you just don't see. And his explosion out of the cut, to me, it was an eye-opener. That's what it's like watching Jonathan Taylor up close. And for those of you guys that have come out to Westfield, you've seen that. Like, this dude is picking up exactly where he left off. So no no worries there. But the other thing with the running backs is Naheem Hines. Like, he is having a great camp. And it's not just as a running back. They are using him more and more as a receiver. He caught a nice 30, 35-yard touchdown on basically just a go route in the end zone. Like, not a route you see a running back run very often. You've seen Hines run this in the past, but it was with Rivers. And he caught it in heavy traffic. Nick Cross was all over him. Naheem Hines is a playmaker. Like, forget running back, forget receiver. He's a playmaker, and he keeps doing that every day. And he's amped. And I think Naheem knows that this is going to be a different season for him. They're going to use him. Based on what we've seen in Westfield, there's just no way they don't use him more. So I know a lot of you out there are saying, finally, and and frankly, I am too, because he's a good football player, and he's a problem if you're a defense. Um, Michael Pittman is a number one. I see it in camp. He's going toe-to-toe with Gilmore a lot in in Westfield, and he's owning, you know, he's holding his own. I'll say that. Um, Yesterday, Wednesday, was the best practice I've ever seen from Michael Pittman. He was absolutely dominant. He caught everything. Now, in the middle, he got into a punching match with Rodney McLeod and landed some haymakers. I mean, these were serious punches, maybe two or three. Now, McLeod was firing right back, and it was broken up, but, man, Pittman plays with that fire, and you can see that. He caught one over the middle today with Gilmore all over him. And I don't know how we caught it, but that's going to make Pittman better. I really do see see that. And and when you see a receiver go against Gilmore every day, like they haven't played against a, a corner that good. They just haven't. Not this team in this training camp the last couple of years. And, and that's going to make Pittman better. And it's going to make the next receiver better too. And that's Alec Pierce. And for a couple of days, it felt like they were putting Gilmore on Pierce every single snap. And I thought it was intentional. And I asked Frank Reich about it. And he said, no, it's not intentional. But I'm glad you noticed that because that makes Pierce's life really tough. Like, it's really tough to get open against Gilmore. I've seen that in Westfield. And Pierce, he looks the part. Now, he's not had a perfect camp by any means. Reggie Wayne had to tell him to chill out a couple nights ago. But Alec Pierce has been running with the first team since he got here. And the last guy that I can really think of that did that was Quentin Nelson. Like, Quentin Nelson was never a backup and he was never going to be. But, you know, even Taylor was Marlon Mack's backup and you know, Pittman had to sort of fight his way to get up there behind T.Y. We just haven't seen that. But Pierce is, Pierce is legit. He's a rookie. He's not perfect. But he moves in a way that you can just see him stepping into this offense. And he's going to make plays this year. I just really believe that. Paris Campbell's had a great camp. He really has. I know what everyone's saying. Um, but all he can do is just stack good days right now and stay healthy. And he's done that so far. So um, they got to be feeling pretty good about the wide receiver room when you add in the fact that Ashton Doolin has made a play every day and sometimes multiple plays. And, you know, today he was with the second team, but Nick Foles wouldn't look anywhere else. It was all Ashton Doolin. And if Doolin steps up and if Campbell stays healthy and if Pierce is as good as we think he is behind Pittman, who I have no concerns about, I think the Colts feel pretty good about that wide receiver room. Now, if one of those guys goes down, that changes everything. And maybe they call T.Y., maybe they call someone else. But You know, this was the gamble they were willing to make at wide receiver by not adding a veteran, by banking on Pierce developing, by banking on Campbell staying healthy, and maybe someone else stepping up. And I think Doolin's doing that. Now, it's August 4th, and it doesn't matter until you do this in the regular season, but we've seen Doolin make plays on Sundays before, and he had that big touchdown catch last year. And and I know Chris Ballard really likes this dude. He's a little bit like Zach Paschal, but he's got more top-end talent. He's got more speed. He can take the top off the defense. We saw that last year with that bomb from Carson Wentz. So that's a guy I'm going to be keeping to watch. Like everyone's asking me, like, who's looks good in camp? Like, yeah, Pierce looks good. Campbell looks good. I want to see them stack this over three or four weeks. Like that's what really matters. It's one thing to look good one day. It's one thing to look good two days. You need to stack up week after week of consistency. So far, the receiver room has to be encouraging for this team. Now, my other questions at tight end, and I, and I've, said this, I don't love this group. I just don't love this group. I think it's one of the thinnest positions on the roster. And I think Chris Ballard disagrees with me, but but I'll hold I'll hold that up. I mean, Mo Ali Cox is the one, and behind him there's a lot of questions. Now Granson, Kylan Granson has played better 
the last couple of days, but I didn't see much of them last week. And in the spring, there were a lot of drops. So that's that's a real concern I have as we get up to some competition the next couple of weeks with the Lions coming into town and some preseason games. But I do have to tell you about Drew Ogletree. That dude balled out today. He balled out. He's the sixth round pick, I believe. You know, he's, he's in my opinion, very much outshined Jelani Woods, who was the third round pick. Now, they're both massive tight ends. They're staggering in person. They look like Buckner or Dio. But in my opinion, the tight end three right now is Ogletree. Like, it's not even close. Like, Woods looks a little lost, and he doesn't look like he's running and, and running his routes with a lot of confidence, which is what you see in a lot of rookies, right? It's not a reason to panic. It's August 4th. He's a week and a half in. But Ogletree doesn't look like that. He looks confident and he's making plays and we're seeing him with the ones right now. He's getting some run with the first team offense and that's not an accident. Um, Made an unbelievable one-handed catch today in the end zone for Matt Ryan. And that tells you something and that's something the coaches are going to remember. So in my mind, still a lot of questions about the tight end position. Mo Alley-Cox, Colin Granson, those guys are running with the ones and Granson's made a lot of plays the last couple of days, a lot of catches. And then I, I got to have Ogletree at the third spot right now. And I think he sees some snaps if he continues to develop at this pace. So there's a bright spot at tight end. A lot of questions about the offensive line. I'm really hesitant to throw any conclusions out because they're not really playing real football yet. Yes, they're in pads and they even tackled a little bit today, but it's really hard to get a feel for the offensive line until they play against competition. Like it's even in the preseason, you'll see a little bit. And then the, the Lions come in a couple of weeks, and you'll see more there. But I really don't think we're going to get a real valuation on Matt Pryor or, or Danny Pinter until September when they play the Texans. Like, I really believe that. Uh, Pryor got whooped today on one snap by Yannick Ngakwe, but that's not, you know, the first or last guy Ngakwe is going to embarrass. I watched Pryor for a while today. He's had a lot of good reps. He looks solid. Again, it's just it's just way too early to make any bold claims. I think Rayman is a little bit behind him. I don't think Rayman's going to be in position to to unseat him for week one. That's just my thought right now. I'd be surprised if that happens. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just too premature to really jump into anything on the offensive line. You know, switching gears when we when we go to the defensive line, I want to want to make two points right off the bat. Ngakwe's changing things. It, it just feels like he's changing things. He's got this energy, he's got this attitude, and he's got this just mentality that is, uh, it's obvious and it's palpable and it's contagious. And they've missed that at that position. This is a little bit of a stretch and I'm not comparing their careers, but he's got a little Robert Mathis to him. He's a little undersized. He likes to play on the end by himself and he just messes stuff up. Like he's a pain in the ass to play against. And I imagine the guys who are trying to block him feel like this. Like his get off is insane. It, it just jumps out at you. And he's made a play or two or three every single day where he's just in the backfield in Matt Ryan's face within two seconds. Now he can't sack the quarterback or anything, but he's messing stuff up. Like he's a problem. And we saw a little bit of the byproduct of that today. So DeForest Buckner was freaking unstoppable. Like he was in the backfield half the snaps in 11 on 11, especially at the end. Now Buck has been held out a little bit. I think there was a like, minor tweak in his knee. So he, we didn't really see a lot of him. And I think today, Gus Bradley said, this is the first day he's played more than 15 snaps. So they've held him out a little bit. But my God, this guy, I mean, I think this is what's going to happen with Ngakwe on the end. Buckner's going to see a lot less double teams. And there's times he's been triple teed in the past. I mean, Buckner was was a freaking monster today. And, you know, you know I'm sitting there writing down notes on, on, on my pad and like, I wrote Buckner's name down like six times because that's how many plays he made. So um, no questions about whether Buckner's going to be for real this year. Grover Stewart's had a good camp too. Cordy Pay, I've seen some good plays. I've seen some plays where he gets, you know, he just kind of disappears. I don't know. I don't know about that. I think that's going to be really important is if he can develop those second and third counter moves to get to the quarterback. He can rush with power. I mean, you should see his legs. I mean, this guy's got all the power in the world. But he's got he's to do something different to sort of get to the quarterback. And I think his development's key because if they get him rolling, you really, really like that defensive front. But for me, the standouts on the D-line, Ngakwe's been maybe the best player on the field this camp besides like Taylor. And, and, and Buckner had an absolutely dominant day today. I will say this, you know, if there's two starting linebackers, we obviously know Bobby Okereke is one of them. While Darius Shaquille Leonard is out, 
It's Zaire Franklin who's in there, and it's not EJ Speed. Zaire's been with the ones, and he's made some plays. EJ is definitely the backup in that spot right now. Whether that changes, we'll see. But, you know, I thought EJ had a, had a, had a shot. I liked his talent. I like the way he played in that Arizona game last year when he stepped in for, for Leonard. But, but right now, it's Zaire and Bobby at those two spots. Kenny Moore made a bunch of plays today. Um, in the back end, you know, the guy that jumps out the most, and I mentioned him earlier, is Gilmore. Like, he's just – I love watching great cornerback play. It's one of my favorite things to watch in a football game. And Gilmore doesn't really move the fastest, but he's never out of position. He's so smart. He cuts off the routes. He cuts off the angles. He really makes life really hard for the receiver. And I saw that on Tuesday and Wednesday when he went against Pierce. Pierce couldn't breathe, man. There was nowhere to go. And Gilmore and Pittman have had some battles too. Now, they both won their fair share. But I think Gilmore, I don't think this is a stretch. Gilmore's the best corner they've had since Vontae Davis in 2014 when Vontae was really at his peak. I think he's better than Pierre Desir. I think he's better than, you know, whoever they had the last couple of years, Xavier Rhodes, Rakicin, you name him. Um, he looks really good. He looks in really good form. And I think he's changing that unit a little bit because it's getting Kenny Moore a little bit more freedom. Um, I've got Rodney McLeod over Nick Cross right now at the other safety spot. Nick Cross was really in there with the ones for a long time to start while McLeod was coming back from that injury. But we're starting to see Cross a little bit more with the twos, McLeod with the ones. Um, opposite the other guy who's really jumped out at me, Julian Blackman is all the way back. He is such a good football player, such an instinctive athlete back there. And that's going to be a fun future to, to keep an eye on Blackman and cross. Whenever they become the tandem, there's a lot of athleticism and a lot of ground they can cover very quickly with those two guys in the back end. But for now it's McLeod and Blackman today, the guys making plays in the secondary, Kenny Moore, Julian Blackman, Gilmore was in there. Gilmore had a hit on Pierce. Now it wasn't like a, a knockout, but like it was going to be a catch and Gilmore flew in from the back end to break up the play. And, and he thumped Pierce pretty good, but um, yeah, Gilmore's changing things in the back end. They just haven't had a stud like that in a while. So um, those are my main takeaways from camp. It's early. And I know you guys are probably tired of hearing about how everyone's doing well. It's, it's not a accurate representation of how things are going to look when September and October come, but um I'm a little incomplete on the offensive line just because I want to see him play against some competition. But you want to see your studs look like studs at this point, right? It's August 4th. There's a long way to go. But like, how does Matt Ryan look? He looks like Matt Ryan to me. JT looks great. Pittman looks better. Campbell's healthy. Pierce looks legit. Pierce doesn't look like he's lost. A lot of guys will be thrown in with the ones and look like they don't know what they're doing. Pierce absolutely has never looked like that to me. Um, the questions that tied in, I'm, I'm not sold on that group. But um, Ngakwe's changing things on the defense in the front end with that front four. And in the back end, Gilmore has really stood out to me. Those are my sort of quick takeaways from camp so far. Colts are off Friday. They're off Saturday. They have a walkthrough. And then they're back at it Sunday and Monday. Um, and we'll keep going. We'll keep going in Westfield. They have a game next Saturday, if you can believe it, in Buffalo. And then they'll host the Lions the following week at Grand Park. Those are always some of the biggest, most attended practices. That'll be fun. The Hard Knocks cameras will be back. Those cameras were obviously in Indy for the entire regular season last year. Dan Campbell will be a sight to see. But I'm really looking forward to Hutchinson, the top pick the Lions made in in the draft, going against, you know, Matt Pryor or... Braden Smith or any one of the offensive linemen like those when you get to do one-on-ones against opposing teams that's some of the best stuff you see whether it's corners and receivers or D linemen and offensive linemen so we'll get a better sense then of the offensive line but no real big shakeup so far and the one thing I have to mention is the Colts you know and I know they're knocking on wood no big injuries so far like Dennis Kelly's out for a little bit but he's that backup swing tackle Michael Strawn still out but like they have not had any real injuries and setbacks. And if you go back to a year ago, that was not the case. That was not the case. You had your starting quarterback have foot surgery. Your all-pro left guard had surgery. Your head coach was out with COVID. Your DC was out with COVID. Like It was a mess last year. And I really believe all the chaos that they went through in the offseason with COVID, with injuries, with all that, really impacted them when they got to September because they played like crap against the uh, Seahawks in week one. And they played better against the, the Rams in week two, but they couldn't finish. And um, I know the boss, Jim Irsay, is really ticked off with the how they've had these slow starts. 
Uh, maybe a quiet offseason and a healthy training camp is what they need. It obviously doesn't hurt when you're playing the Houston in week one, one of the worst teams in the league. And Jacksonville in week two, and we'll see if the Colts can get it done. So that's my quick recap of camp. Again, I know we're getting a lot of questions on how does Raymond look and how does Matt Pryor look. And, you know, let's let's give that some time. I don't want to put any bold proclamations out just yet about that when I haven't really seen them play live football quite yet. So, um, but anyway, I think there's a lot to like in Westfield right now. I really do. Matt Ryan looks legit. Some of the studs on offense look legit. And on the back end, the, the two free agent signings you made, Gilmore and Ngakwe, look every bit what you want them to. So we'll see how things play out. That's sort of my summation so far from training camp. Um, you guys are probably tired of hearing me talk. So I'm going to throw it to Mike Wells. This is a really fun conversation. Hope you guys enjoy. All right. As promised, after a distinguished run, uh, Mike Wells, longtime buddy. Longtime ESPN reporter who covered the Pacers for the Indianapolis Star and before that, the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's over. The run is over. Any part of you miss getting back to Grand Park and, and sweating through those training camp practices you have been sweating through the last 10 years or so? Man, you know, um, honestly, not a lot. I Probably the biggest thing is not going up and writing about the new starting quarterback Again, I feel like it, it's been a constant, as you know, it's been a constant revolving door, Zach, since uh, 2017 with luck in his shoulder. Um, I just that's probably the biggest thing is that having the opportunity to write about, OK, is this guy going to be the uh, starting quarterback to lead the Colts to the uh, playoffs? Because as some friends asked me, can you name off all the quarterbacks since 2017? And I always, always forget about Scott Coley. I can. Oh, name how could you forget about that day in L.A.? Oh my God! It was like, it was like throwing his pen in the press box after one throw. A hundred, hundred degrees at the LA Coliseum, and next you know Jacoby Brissett, who who had only been in town, you know, for for less than a week, is already stepping in in the fourth quarter. So that's the one quarterback I always forget about. But all in all, you know what? I mean, been in this business. I was in the business for what twenty plus years, almost twenty three years. Um, one training camp is like all of the training camps. After a while, so they just kind of blend together. The biggest thing I miss is probably sitting on the sideline with the media group, because unlike if you look around the country, some of these media groups, those guys truly despise each other. There's one guy on one end of the field, another on the other end of the field. They, they're looking for their interview when they're doing interviews. If anybody's listening, we had a great group. It was competitive. But at the same time, we got along and cracked jokes. So that's probably the biggest thing that I that, that I miss is being able to you know stand around with you guys and uh, make fun of people when questions in the engine or stupid a stupid throw we're like you know what were they looking at goodness gracious Car- Carson Wentz I see why they didn't want you in Philadelphia anymore those type those type of things it's it's it makes practice go a lot quicker and it's fun to talk football with everybody too but but yeah it it, it makes the job you know those those days just run together man and it's two hours and sometimes the it just runs together um we'll get into some cold stuff in a second you talked about what you will miss let's Keep it real. What will you not miss? And and, and that's kind of leads into like, how much has the business changed from when you started? Yeah. You know, I, I I won't miss, you know, obviously I'm expecting you guys to be back in the locker room this season. Um, the guys who are difficult to deal with from um, from yeah. an interview standpoint, guys that, really hard. you know, who are waiting until like there's two minutes left in the open locker room section. Then they want to pop in and grab their folder and say, I, I, I can't talk right now. I got to get to a meeting. Those type of things, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to miss those side or the guys that are complete jackasses. I mean, we've had our fair share, the Antonio Morrisons uh, of the locker room who want to make it difficult. Turn up the music. Yes, turn up the music loud when they know you're trying to interview somebody. I feel sorry for the TV, the TV people, especially when they're dropping F-bombs and the songs and stuff like that. I won't. That's that's the stuff I won't miss. There's a lot. There's a lot of stuff I won't miss because I I love the job. I Those mean, there's a reason why. Wake up calls. <laughs> oh, um, you know, I, when you got kids, I'm used to getting up early because I got that par- that paranoia of am I going to miss my flight? So I wake up early no matter what. But there's really not much I'm not going to miss because I, I was passionate about it. I enjoyed it. I had fun with it all. And there's always a different story, especially. We're covering that team on, on the west side of Indianapolis called the Colts. You ever miss a flight in all your years traveling? Um, actually, I did. I mean, I missed oh. a flight one time. And as you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a heavy drinker. 
I'm I'm a more of a casual drinker. Right. And I had a flight um, flying to. I was flying. I was going to the city, and I had a flight. And I got out, went out with some friends on Friday night, and had an early morning flight. And I drank way, way too much, way too much. That's more like and me I, and Holder. That's not like you. Yeah, exactly. I'm more. On the, I'm on the laid back side, and so my alarm went off, and I'm one of those people. I get to the airport just in time for my flight. And I, I, I turned my alarm, I hit the snooze button one too many times, and I busted my ass to get to the Indianapolis airport. Got through security, TSA pre-check, you gotta have that. And then just closed the, closed the gate. But luckily there was anybody, I'm, I'm a Delta flyer, so I was going through Atlanta, and there was another flight in 45 minutes. That is the only time- Yeah, it still shot your ego flight. though a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh my God. People are probably staring like, ah, look at this guy trying to hurry up and get through the airport. First get, time flying. Right, right. Yeah. So um, that's the only time. So one time and probably God, I mean, humble brag, but I'm a million mile flyer on Delta. Yeah, I mean, all those years covering the NBA and, and the Colts. That's I mean, the that's the only time ever. So you talked about I think I think we'd agree some of our favorite parts of this job are, are the people we get to meet. Who have been some of your favorite guys you've met through the Colts over the years? Because there's been some personalities. There's been yeah. some guys that maybe not a lot of people think of that are great to talk to, both in the early days under Pregano and then now. Who are some of your favorite to chat with in the locker room? Man, you know, it was always the older veterans. You know, the Mike Adams, the uh, uh, Darius Butlers, the Quell Jacksons. I mean, the Colts had drama during those years, uh, but I just enjoyed standing at their locker and, you know, having small talk, no tape recorder in my hand, no notepad, just catching up. Um you know, Matt Hasselbeck, I think you and I can agree. He oh, is a, he is the top top three guy of all the guys we covered with the Colts because there'd be times where uh, Matt Conti, the PR guy, or Avis Roke would be like, hey, the locker was closing, and Matt Hasselbeck's still telling the story, and we're yeah. telling him. He's like, no, hey, Matt, we're good, we we're go. good. <laughs> hey, Matt, we got to go. No, 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 don't worry about it. Just, you know, you know, 30 more seconds. So the older veteran guys, um, you know, when it comes to the younger guys, even though he's not young anymore, you know, Brian Kelly, because – he oh, we can we can bust his yeah, yeah jobs he, he, and he'll he will, get he will, it right back to us. He'll go back. He'll go back and forth with us. Talk trash, Anthony Costanzo. Like he had that dry sense of humor, but he got our job. He told he totally got it. And you know the guy you did the incredible podcast on Andrew Luck. And it wasn't a matter of the interview sessions because he didn't he was, say anything. No, and I told him that, and he laughed. He didn't. He didn't, he didn't say anything, but just. You just talking and grasping how smart he was. I mean, he was you know, easily the best football player in that locker room and also the smartest player in the locker room. So just having those non-football conversations, you know, when you got them, because we know Andrew, he wanted to get in, he wanted to get to work. But yeah. when you had those chances, you know, it was great to sit down. Well, not even sit down, but just stand in his locker and, and chat with him. When I met with him, he asked me, he said, how important is an open locker room to your job? And I was like, I can't even explain how important that is. Like you get to talk to 53 different guys. Like it's so much been so hard the last couple of years, as you know. So I think he started to understand that, but he's yeah. One of a kind. Um, did you think McAfee was going to become as big of a star as he is? Cause you covered him fairly early in his career and he was always enter- entertaining. He was always interesting. We talked to a punter a lot more than probably a lot of locker rooms, but man, he is taken off. No, he has. And I used to say, if the if your punter is the most talkative person in the locker room, the guy who gets the best quotes, you got a bad locker room as far as from a media standpoint. Right. That was always but my it was place. different with him. Yeah. He just, I mean, I, I'll never forget we were in Dallas the year they went to the AFC Championship game, and he threw he had that fake punt in the first quarter, threw it to Dewey, Dewey uh, McDaniel or something McDonald, like that. Like, yeah. yeah, McDonald, dropped and he it, just right? completely dropped it. So, of course, that's a story afterwards. And McAfee's giving a breakdown of a play-by-play, and you you will see him and come up and, you know, have a microphone, take somebody's microphone to do interviews uh, with Jeffrey Gorman and things like that. I knew he had a chance to do something after his career that I think he was going to be, you know, a multimillionaire and having an incredible show, having Aaron Rodgers break news on his show on Tuesdays about, you know, the vaccination stuff like and things like that. No, I had no idea. And kudos to him because, you know, while he's very, you know, energetic and stuff, he's still a great guy. Like, he's not a prick. And that's yeah. what I like. If you're, if you're yeah. not going to be a prick, I enjoy you. And Pat McAfee is the furthest thing from a prick. He's changing the game in a lot of ways. I remember when he told me he was going to retire, it was really stunning. I was like, no, you're not. 
and this was his plan and credit to him man he did it he paved his own way um but yeah man it was i think we talked to the punter more than any media group in the league <laughs> i don't know if it's a bad punter or not uh, best games you covered man there, 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 there's a lot. And I, I can't put them in any particular order, Zach, because there were so many of them. And I'm just going to go off the top of my head. Um, obviously, the Kansas City playoff game. Yeah. They're down well, 28 points. And, you know, we're sitting here thinking about we're writing our end of the season story. And all of a sudden, Andrew. Oh, you're Ruff, writing the obituary, right? Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God. This just shows how good of a quarterback Andrew Luck is. That obviously is one of them. Um, you were at you were um, at, at, at this one, I'm about to say. It was um, the the game in the Eastern Conference Finals, Pacers and Heat, where, you know, Paul George had to dunk on Birdman and Indianapolis star photographer Matt Kreiger had a great photo. In fact, I've got it. I've actually got it here in my office hanging up on the wall. Uh, just the whole atmosphere, that entire series. You had Paul, David West, you know, the young up and coming Pacers against, you know, LeBron, D. Wade and Chris Bosh. And that was just an incredible seven-game series. I mean, I was crazy enough to pack like we were going to San Antonio for game one of the NBA finals. Uh, but I also got I got to backtrack to my first year covering the NBA. Um, I had an opportunity to cover the Minnesota Timberwolves. They had Kevin Garnett, Latrell Sprewell, Sam Cassell, Wally Zerbiak, Zerbiak, and Fred Hoiberg, who low-key was a great, great quote. Fred Hoiberg was like the Matt Hasselbeck. That's those guys are so clutch. So, I mean, just so clutch in there. And they get to the Western Conference Finals to face the Lakers, uh, who had obviously Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, Carl Malone, and Gary Payton. You know, four, four future Hall this of Famers. This is like two thousand four, like when yeah, they had gone all in. Okay, fourth season, and that's my first year covering the NBA. I'm like, holy cow. Man, that's your first like, year in the league. Garnett's the MVP. First year, first year covering the the, the uh, NBA, and I'm like, man, this is going to be a heck of a run. I'm I'm gonna love covering the NBA. So just that series. I know you said games, but yeah. Those, those two series are right up there as far as my favorite games or slash series that I've been able to cover. And you know, if I say if I say number one, I would say probably the Andrew Luck. Kansas City playoff game because that was just unbelievable Saturday night television and that's where luck truly burst on the scene and we're like holy cow this kid is fucking good and I mean I, no, I wouldn't even say good great yeah. on what he did in that game those Pacers series were fun I was a <laughs> young pup following you and Kravitz around in Miami and South Beach and the Pacers made, were you, an easy team. And you made the mistake to hang out with Bob Kravitz yeah. in South Beach. Yeah. I, I, I still can't believe yep. you let Bob sucker you and be hanging out in South Beach. I mean, let's be real. You know, we, we both love Bob, but he's like old enough, almost old enough to be your dad. And you're hanging out in South Beach with him. Yeah, man, you, you learn you learn the hard way when you're a young rookie reporter. Um, but like those teams, like the, the, the Heat were like the villains. And PG was so young and coming into his own and. David West was a great quote, and Hibbert was great at that point. Those were fun teams. Um, what do you think has changed in a negative way from what we do? Social media. Yeah. Social, social media uh, is the biggest thing that has impacted this business. I mean, it has helped out a lot in some aspects, but at the same like it's, time. It's cheap in the experience, maybe. Yes, yes. I mean, the, 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 the race to be first – and put the tweet out there and the whole look at me type tweets. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you and I have both been adjunct professors um, at, at Indiana University for a number of years. And that's one of the first questions students will ask me is what has changed in the business? You know, first of all, I, I take it personal. They make it seem like I'm ancient when they say what's changed in the business. But I, I say social media. I think that has just impacted it so much. And not only because of the look at me stuff, but athletes breaking their own news. I mean, how many times yeah. have we had the follow a guy that we could care less about, but we got to follow him because you never know what he's going to tweet, what he's going to say. Um, you know, I'm glad you and I haven't had many athletes who have dropped a little, try to give little sub hints, like a couple word tweets. And you're like, okay, what's he mean by this? So why, I got to go track this down. I got to go do this. You know, Kyler Murray, you know, with the stuff in the Arizona Cardinals, things like that. We didn't have to worry about it. But as I sit back from afar, I'm like, God, you're sitting there 
saying, wondering, is he trying to get at something? And then, you know, if you're, if, if it's, if it's not, if he says, oh, I didn't mean anything by you, like, I just wasted two hours trying to track down sources to see what this means. You know, I, those type of things, I just think has, yeah. has really hurt. Are we doing what we should be doing? Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you'd rather, instead of, you know, sitting on a bench at, at the park with your kids, you'd probably rather be pushing them on the swing. Instead, you're saying, honey, uh, I'll be, daddy will be there in a second. I got to you know, go through Twitter to make sure I don't miss what's yep. going on with I've this been, guy. I've done that. I've done, and you've done that, right? Yeah. Like, it's just, you're trying to keep, play with your kids in the pool and you're like, what does this tweet mean? Yeah, that's the annoying part. Um. All right, so some of my favorite stories you've shared over the years. Latrell Sprewell, I got mouth to feed. You got to tell this story. And then my favorite, um, I think, is SOFT, which our colleague, our, our, our buddy Kravitz, has butchered over the years. So I want the real story so we can tell Kravitz it wasn't him who got the scoop. But yeah. let's go through oh, those. Oh, my goodness. Listen, I, I'll t- I'm going to tell Latrell Sprewell one because, honestly, I think that is what led to me getting the work of the Indianapolis Star um off of that um you know it was preseason and the Timberwolves had a preseason game in South Dakota against the New York Knicks okay and obviously as much as you and I love to travel I was not flying a night before to go to like um you know Sioux Falls South Dakota for preseason Don't tell Adam that man he loves that yeah state. I, I, I was not going there and it was clear that Sprewell he had already said he wanted a new contract and so Frank Isola who was covering the um New York Knicks at the uh, New York Daily News and knew Sprewell very, very well. He had said a, a year prior, he had told Sprewell, hey, this is a you know, first time NBA reporter, Mike Wells, take care of him. So Sprewell and I became, you know, great from a working standpoint, incredible that whole year to the conference finals of the T-Wolves. So he knew him, him and I, he knew he could trust me on things. And I saw and I waited for an hour after practicing it because That's the trust what- Sprewell. That he's one of those guys who has a routine. Like he likes to have practice and he goes to lift for an hour. There's no like, hey, can I grab you real quick? That's not happening. If you want to, you have to wait. And the Minneapolis Star um, Tribune reporter, he had a flight to Sioux Falls. And mind you, practice is over like 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Who the hell wants to fly to Sioux Falls that early in the day, the day before a preseason game? And so he left. And so I saw and I waited him out and Sprewell came up. Asked us if we wanted a couple of Gatorades, uh, you know, for making us, you know, kind of, I guess, a token of making us wait. And we just started talking about contracts. And um, I saw and said, you know, um, do you do you like what they're offering? I think it was roughly three years, $21 million. And, uh, and Sprewell said, no, nah, no, I don't like, not for what I did last year. I helped Kevin Garnett get to the conference finals for the first time. Actually, out of the first round of the playoffs for the first time in his career. And so I just said, why? I said, why is that not enough? And mind you, we know seven million a year in today's day age, that's nothing. But in 2004, that's great money. And Sprewell looks at me, he goes, I have a family to feed. And this is the misquote. Yes. And this is free Twitter days. I'm like, holy shit. I'm cracking up. I'm calling my editor. And, you know, we're still putting stories online. So I, I'll never, I stopped at a place called Caribou Coffee. It's a, it's a Minnesota, you know, yeah. Minnesota um, Starbucks type deal. And wrote a story, put it up, and he just took off of that. It completely took off. And the next day, we're in Sioux Falls for the game, and Sprayball didn't talk pregame. He didn't talk pregame again. It was all of his routine. After the game, all the Knicks reporters came in. They had him hurdled up, huddled up, talking. And the funniest shit about it all was when people, they, they, they were peppering all the questions. And Sprewell goes, why don't you talk to Mike and Frank about it? I already talked about it with them. Oh, I mean. I, um, heard I mean, that that, those, those are the type of things, as you know, from a from an ego confidence thing inside. You're like, hell yeah! Hey, it's yeah. always good to get a story first, yeah. right? You're like, always have that. So that helped me and, out. And that waiting too. That's such a big yes. part of the job, and that drives us crazy. But sometimes it pays off. You're you're sitting there waiting for over 24 hours to get them, and the the, the, the Star Tribune reporter who was actually the backup beat writer for the T Wolves that day forward. Mind you, this was in October 2004. I got hired in January 05 at the Indianapolis Star. That day forward, anytime he covered a practice, he would not leave the facility until I left. Wow. And so I started making fun of him because of the, there was a, a Skyway parking garage, and I would sit there and peek my head around the corner and, and, and see him still kind of looking back and see if I was going to double back to, to, to go back into the uh, facility. 
So it was oh, just one of those, it, was, it was one of those mind mind game type deals. So that that was that was that is my number one favorite story. That one right there is the, I my students will look it up and get a laugh out of it. But the worst part, Zach, is I completely buried the lead in that story. I'm so yeah, mad at myself. That. Oh man, that, that that quote is so far. It's like halfway down the story. I'm like, what the hell were you thinking? Of course, you know, I was 25, 20, what? Actually, 26 at the time. I'm like, what the hell are you thinking? Burying the best quote ever halfway down the story. That quote um, was all over every TV PTI yeah. the sports center for weeks after that. Exactly. So and then, you know, the Larry, the Larry Bird one. Um, God, we were in Miami. That was in also in the conference finals here. And I think it was game game number. It had to be game five because we were back. We were game five. And the Pacers completely got blown out. And I was talking to Michael Wallace, who was covering the heat for the Miami uh, Herald at the time. We're waiting, he, we're waiting to get into the locker room. And Bird walks by. And he whisk, leans over and whispers to me, where nobody can hear except for Wallace. And he goes, can you believe how fucking soft we were? And I just, I just kind of laughed it off. Laughed it off, whatever. I just figured that's just a pissed off. And this is not something guy. you report because in that setting, no, it's, yeah, yeah, he's that on the setting, record. And you had a relationship. Kind of, yeah, I was like, okay. And, and, and Wall was like, did I hear that correct? I was like, yeah. And so I, after we get done writing, you know those deadlines. I mean, those are like 8, 8.30 tip-offs. Brutal, brutal deadlines. And so we're, we're, we're writing, sitting at the buzzer. You're writing sidebars that probably didn't make any sense because you just kind of send something uh, to the buzzer. Sometimes you, you have back. seven minutes to write. Yeah, and you're going. we're going back in the update. We'll post afterwards. And I'm exhausted. I'm like, oh, this has been a long playoff run. And I go back to the Biscayne Bay, Biscayne Bay Marriott. And Kravitz, of course, typical Kravitz, he decides to, he wants to go have a drink somewhere. Go Stunner. out drinking. Yeah, he wants to go out drinking. And I'm like, no, dude, I'm going back to the hotel. And Bird, Bird sends me a text. He goes, can you just believe how S-O-F-T they are? And so I call him. I, I call him. And he's like, yeah, you know, put it, put, you know, put that out there in that Twitter thing, that Twitter thing. <laughs> this um, is Larry Bird yeah, talking. Yeah, this, you know, and his French like draw. He's like, put it, put it out there in Twitter thing. I'm like, I don't, he goes, I don't care. And just to make sure, you know, I'm like, hey, are you sure, Larry? Yeah. Because this is going to, this is going to blow up. And he goes, yeah. He goes, yeah, put it out there. I just cannot believe how soft we were. He goes, we're in the Eastern Conference Finals. We got a chance to get, make this series, put them, put them on the ropes. And we go out there and not pull it off. I mean, because that put Miami up three to two in yeah. the series. But and he goes, we could have, we could have taken control of things. We had a chance to wrap it up. He goes, yeah, put it out there in that Twitter thing. And I'm not gonna say the other word. Isn't that Yeah. <laughs> and of course, I I tweeted, and, and you know, this is like one in the morning, and it just blows up. Next day, I go on um, the Jim Rome show. In fact, I got to thank Adrian Wojnarowski, the you know the, the king of the. M- NBA circle. He was at Yahoo at the time. He set me up with Jim Rome and he sent me a text. He goes, Hey, can I give Jim Rome your number? He wants you to have on the show. I'm like, Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. And so I go in there. But the thing is, Kravitz is telling a story as if he was sitting right next to me. He like, told me he that he broke that story bar. 10 times. Yeah. I'm like, Bob, hold on, man. I don't know if he had too many Bud Lights or whatever your beverage of choice is, but no, I was in my hotel. In my upgraded suite at the Biscayne Bay Marriott, when Bird sent me the text, and then I call and we have a conversation. And I remember the next day they stuck around to practice before flying home. They had like a walkthrough in Miami, and Kevin Pritchard was like, he came with, who's currently the you know the president of the Pacers, he was an assistant GM or something at the time. He goes, man, he goes, I was right there next to LB. He calls him LB. He goes, yeah, he was hot. He was like, yeah, I'm calling Mike Wells. I'm going to call Mike. I'm going to let Mike Wells know about this. That's because so, you were the guy that was there every day. You know, yeah, like that's... So, and, and, and that's the thing. People say, who's your favorite front office person? Listen, Chris Ballard is incredible. And I told Ballard, I sent Ballard a text after I got done. Once things, once it became known that I was leaving. I said, in 20 plus years of the business, there's three guys who I had incredible relationships with the front office go. They go. One of them was not Ryan Grixon, by the way. Um, I yeah. said Kevin McHale, who's with the Timberwolves. Oh, yeah. He was with the Timberwolves at the time uh, when all that stuff with the Spreewell was going on. I said Larry Bird, and I said you. I said, don't take it personal, but you don't belong in those three categories when it comes to athletics. He's I said, you all no, he in there. And, you know, and, you know we, bust Chris, we, crust, we bust Ballard's chops, so right. we got to laugh out of it. But Bird, I asked him one time, I said, 
why do you and I get along so well? I said, why do you respect me? I said, you're Larry Bird, the Hall of Famer. He goes, because three reasons. He goes, you and Jackie McMullen were the two favorite people that I've dealt with in my career. He goes, you don't oh, look man, at me. Bob Ryan. I thought Bob yeah. Ryan would be up there too. He goes, he goes, you don't look at me. You don't look at me as a Hall of Famer. He goes, you don't lie to me. You call and you call my bullshit. He goes, if you don't like something, you call me out on it. He goes, I respect people like that. He goes, if I had a bad, if I make a bad mood, either you're going to write about it or you're going to, next time I see you, you're going to bust, you, you're going to bust my you Cause you're not a fan. Boy. Yeah. Yeah. He goes, more exactly. to it. Yeah. You, you, you summed it up. But you know, essentially he says, I, I don't, I don't suck up to him because he was Larry Bird, the hall of famer. Um, don't get me wrong. There were some favorite stories where I, I ran into him on the road or, you know, kind of, you know, if, if, if I was with David Benner, the PR guy and Bird was there. I've had some great just like stories out of that. Like oh, when he and it had to be so cool. I mean, he's one of the six or seven greatest players of all time. That's yeah, really we're, cool. Yeah. We're, we're in San Antonio. They opened the season in San Antonio one year and it's a two game trip, San Antonio. Then they go to Atlanta. They practice in San Antonio the day after stay there in practice and bird is sitting there. He's in a pair of slacks and a long sleeve collared shirt. They get done practicing. They finish up practicing. guys are, you know, icing down, stretching, getting extra shots. Bird walks to the right elbow, fully dressed still, swish, 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 swish. The fifth one comes up, swish, walks off the court and says, this is just too easy. Oh, that's Larry, so Larry good. Freak, Larry freaking Bird. I got chills. And, and, and mind you, after the second one, like George Hill and all those guys, everybody's watching him. Nobody else is getting shots up in the Damn gym. straight they are. We're, we're at like an NAI college in San Antonio. And everybody's watching, and he walks off. Yep, yeah, this is just too easy. And I'm, it, it reminded me of that old school um, Michael Jordan, the McDonald's, the McDonald's uh, yeah. commercial. Yeah, when it's going back, that's what it completely reminds. I'm just like, this guy's fully dressed in a dress shirt and doesn't hit the rim from the right elbow, like 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 it's nothing. I'm like, are you serious? And of course, inside I'm giddy. I'm like, holy shit! I just watched Larry Bird do this. It's unbelievable. And then, you know, we're that same season, we're in Charlotte. It might have been St. Patrick's Day or the day before. And David Benner and Dan Burke, the former Page assistant coach, are like, hey, let's go out drinking tonight. Let's go grab a couple of drinks. Beautiful night in downtown Charlotte, outdoor bar. Bird shows up um, and also Crozier shows up. And, uh, they, and, and you know, Crozier's like, hey, let's go play some, let's go play some cornhole. And Crozier beats Bird in cornhole, beats him in cornhole. And, you know, Crozier's kind of got that little kind of smile. Anybody who covered knows that Austin, if you don't know Austin Crozier, he's, he's just pretty low-key and mellow, doesn't get caught up in this stuff. And we get back, we're sitting down, you know, everybody's having a little adult beverage and everything. And Bird says, let's go again. And we're like, okay. And so everybody turns around looking. And you would have thought Larry Bird was going against Michael Jordan or Dominique Wilkins in cornhole. He's just, you know, dropping it through the hole and he's talking to Crozier at the same time, talking trash like he's like he's in game seven of a playoff series. I would have just killed to watch going, this. Going, going, going at him like, take that, take that, take that. You don't want any of this. Don't want to take any of this. And I, I mean, I know people are like, well, it's only cornhole. But no. it's Larry Bird and you just, you, it just showed his competitiveness. Like, it doesn't matter what he's doing. He doesn't want to lose. He has no, he has no interest in losing and he's just killing Crozier and Cornhole. And I get back, and I was quickly texting my best friends from college. I'm like, dude, you, you guys can't believe what I just saw. With Larry Bird playing Cornhole. So it, it was also a type of relationships which helped from a professional standpoint where Larry trusted me. And it's not like I didn't run back and want to write a story about it. It was like, hey, right. we're just all having fun, no tape recorders or anything. And, you know, I, anytime I talk to Bird, I still mess with him about that. In fact, I go off with Crozier when he comes to Indy. And if there's somebody new in the mix, he loves when I tell that story. He gets a laugh out of it. I know why you guys got along so well. They always say Larry Bird was one of the greatest trash talkers in NBA history. Mike Wells, <laughs> one of the greatest trash talkers in media history, in indie media history, for sure. I mean, right? I mean, you keep it real. And and I think, you know, to spin this yeah. forward to the Colts, I think Ballard appreciates that. We don't, I mean, we're, yeah, we ripped him apart after the Jacksonville loss, and they deserved it. And he's always, you know, when I've talked oh, to yeah. him on the side, he's like, "Dude, if we if we're bad, like you need to you need to write that." I'm like, "Oh, I will. I'm planning on it." He gets he that. 
He do, he doesn't take it personal. And again, you, you made a great point about fanboy stuff. That's the other thing. You know, it, it just kills me when some reporters want to be fan fanboys or fangirls. And you know, that's why I think from a relationship and a friendship standpoint, people like you, uh, you, me, Stephen Holder, you know, we all, that's why we get along to it because we see it and we understand what it takes to do this job. And there's no kissing up. If they stink, they're good. If, if they're, if we're going to kill them. If they're good, we're going to give them their praise for it, but there's not going right. to, we're not going to find a way to put a positive spin on everything. And you know what? That's the other thing why I liked about the media group. So you made a mention about my trash talking. You guys never took it personal, and we just we would have a lot of we crack a lot of jokes, especially yeah. if it was a Thursday afternoon and no coaches, and we got to pass the time through interview sessions. It, 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 it's we had a we have you have I had a job where you know we had every kid's dream job, and we didn't take, we don't take ourselves serious when it comes to that. We know when to be when it's time to work, but at the same time we know that it's okay to be loose a little bit. It's good, yeah. It, it makes it fun, and, and I've always thought that. God, if you could just record those those sessions of us just BS in the media room. I don't know if we'd have or, jobs the next or, day. Or our group decks. That'd be a, yeah, that'd be a hell. That'd be a, like just the stories we've had from the locker room yeah. over the years. That would be a hell of a podcast. Um, we got a couple minutes left. I'll let you go. You're moving full time to my alma mater, Indiana University, to teach. Um, I've done it as an adjunct for a couple of years. You have now. You're moving full time. Last thing before I let you go. What? What is the most important thing you want your students to learn as they enter this industry? And I think this is interesting for just fans of the NFL as well. But, you know, people who consume news and everything's changed in the industry. Like, what do you want them to learn more than anything? Be be versatile. That's going to be the biggest thing. Be versatile because the business has changed from when I got into it, when I graduated from college in December um, of 1999 to, you know, 10 years ago to today, when you graduated from IU, the business changed. You have to be versatile. Zach, I, I, I love you to death, but I never thought I would envision you doing a podcast. No, that, that, that was just never, I never, I just wanted you. to be a writer. Yeah. Right. I've always, I've always looked at, I've always said, okay, Zach Kiefer is one of the best takeout writers in the country. And now you, you, you just did an incredible Andrew Luck series. I don't think you probably you probably never thought you would be, be, be become a weekly podcast person. Um, so you have to be versatile, be willing to adapt. And if you can't do those things, it's going to be a struggle to move forward in the business. You have to be able to go on TV, do radio, do podcasts, write any way imaginable, necessary. And so it's not just you're not a one trick pony. I tell my students all the time. If you think you're just writing feature stories or you're going to be covering a football game, you're in for a rude awakening once that graduation comes. Colt's going to be any good this year? Man, you know, I, I've uh, this is my favorite line. I saw from Beverly Hills Cop all the time. I've fallen for the banana in the tailpipe way too many times with this franchise. So I, I can't I, I need to see it first. They got a gauntlet of a schedule. I mean, you're playing, they're playing the uh, best division of football in my opinion, yeah. the AFC West. Best quarterback. It's going to be, it's going to be hard uh, for them, but I think they're the best team in the division. I, I think the, the Titans trading away AJ Brown. Yeah, but they got to do it. They got to yeah. do it, man. They always fall short in that. I'm not a big, I'm not a big believer in Ryan. T- I've never been a big believer in Ryan Tannehill. I love Mike Rabel as a head coach. I think yeah, he's one so of the underrated in the so NFL. Much out of that roster. Yeah. There's just, there's just, it's set up for the Colts to get to the playoffs. And then once they get in, they can do anything imaginable to, uh, to go on forward. And I, I, even though I'm going to be teaching, I got to put this out there. I am going to keep my foot in the door. So do some radio stuff, um, do some freelance writing and everything. So I'm going to say, I, I just can't, I can't shut the door completely, but my focus will be, uh, you know, trying to get people to uh, become the next Zach keepers in this business. Well, it's going to be fun, and I feel like Sundays are going to be weird for you. It's going to be like, you're going to be like, what am I doing? I feel like I should be somewhere. But I'll make sure to send you all the dumb questions that get asked in the press conferences so you can feel like you're still included, <laughs> including some by me. Oh, oh yeah, trust me. Hey, don't, don't cut me out the group text. I got to say in the group text because I'm going to be even more unfiltered now. All right, good stuff. All right, well, I'll, uh, I'll send you a picture from Westfield today, and I'll let you know how much you're missing at that uh, <laughs> practice when it's 95 degrees. All right, good. All right. Thanks, man. This was a lot of fun.